Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. It's safe to say that the pandemic has hit every generation, every individual person, pretty hard on some level. Older generations have had to guard their health even more than others. My own grandmother, a healthy 87-year-old who often mows her own lawn, has not been in public for months. Gone is her treasured independence. Gone is her volunteer position at the local hospital. Generation X and older millennials have had to learn what it truly means to balance work and home life as they crash together when schools closed. But recent statistics show that the hardest hit generation is young adults, younger millennials, and Generation Z. This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. A reporter for the Washington Post writes, after accounting for the present crisis, meaning the coronavirus, the average millennial has experienced slower economic growth since entering the workforce than any other generation in U.S. history. Millennials will bear these economic scars for the rest of their lives in the form of lower earnings, lower wealth, and delayed milestones, such as home ownership. This group is the same group that more and more regularly identifies with no religion. So how can Christians better understand this group? How can we minister to them? My guest today has been working with young adults for decades and has some groundbreaking thoughts about how to minister to them. Rick Lawrence is an award-winning author, journalist, and cultural researcher, editor, and national speaker. He's been the executive director of Group Magazine for 32 years. He's the general editor and chief contributor of the groundbreaking and number one best-selling Jesus-centered Bible and author of the recently released books, The God Who Fights for You, Spiritual Grit, and The Jesus-Centered Life. He's married to Beverly Rose and has a 21-year-old daughter named Lucy Rose and a 17-year-old daughter named Emma Grace. Rick, it is so great to have you here. Haley, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm really excited about um, our conversation today because I'm intrigued by your methods of reaching young adults. And, you know, as you know, I first met you at the Future of the Church Summit last year when I heard yeah. about your interactive's approach to ministry and I came up and I talked to you about it, and I found out that I'm not the only one intrigued by the way you do ministry. And you often have guests come to your uh, teenage and young adult groups, don't you? Yeah, we, uh, we, we uh, on occasion have adults, uh, sometimes other youth pastors, uh, sometimes a parent wants to know, what the heck is going on in that strange group? <laughs> um, and we have them drop in. Uh, you, you know, we've been face-to-face for a long time, so they drop in. And and then right now we've been on Zoom doing the same thing uh, for 10 weeks, doing an engaging, experiential way of of uh, growing in our relationship with Jesus via Zoom. And um, I've had uh, some people drop in to that to see what that's like, including you. Right. Just this week, I was uh, I dropped in and I absolutely loved it. Um, I loved interacting with the the teens in your group and um, hearing their conversations and hearing their heart and where they're at. 
Um, your group is called Pursuing the Heart, Not the Recipes. Can you tell us a little bit about the meaning and the significance behind that name? Yeah, um, it's one of my eccentricities that gets lived out now for uh, with, with this particular group of young adults. It's been lived out with them for six years now. It references that uh, the, the real core of discipleship and the real core of what our life with Jesus is about is not the kitchen techniques that the church so often majors on. Like, for instance, think about whatever last Sunday sermon was. Whatever that was, it was typically, um, it might have dived into a Bible story, but the purpose of diving into that story was to extract sort of life helps from it, uh, if you want to call it that. I call them formulas and recipes Mm -hmm. uh, for growth. And in my own personal life and in the research that I do, um, I, I have discovered that that approach has only a, a, a minimal impact on people's lives. And it's not even biblically accurate for us to frame growth in that way. The way people became transformed uh, with, with Jesus was by being with him and by coming to understand his heart in such a way that even though they still didn't understand him, they were what I call ruined for him. So uh, the purpose of our group, Pursuing the Heart, Not the Recipes, is that we only pursue the heart of Jesus, no matter what we do. And we do this from a thousand different trajectories. Mm -hmm. But all we're doing is trying to draw close and have a deeper understanding, appreciation of, and experience of the heart of Jesus. And when that happens you are permanently attached to him. Um, We have many examples, including Peter, um, after Jesus drives all the crowds away by repeatedly asking them in John 6 to eat his body and drink his blood, and nobody understands, including his disciples, but everybody leaves but a few disciples, and and Jesus asks a very vulnerable question, are you going to leave too? And Peter, I just love Peter in this moment. He stands up and says, where else would we go? Right. <laughs> only, you have wor- only you have words of life and truth. And what Peter is saying is, I don't get what just happened, Jesus, but I am ruined for you. Yeah. And that's our intent with this group. My passion is to ruin kids for the heart of Jesus so that they never leave him. Yeah, a lot of Christians might wonder about, you know, why do you think that the recipes and the traditional way that we do church isn't working yeah it's not working because it's all uh, um, information based Uh i guess is a way of saying it and it's also one-way communication right so when you go to church you're expecting to sit and listen to someone who you have uh, you for most people in in the congregation say knows more than me and is smarter than me especially relative to the christian life so i'm going to sit and listen to that person talk about that life and then they're going to give me three or four or five or six things to do right. um, after I leave today. Um, and of those things, I won't do any of them, most likely. This is just based on, you know, doing research with people about what happens after they listen to a sermon. Most people do nothing, um, but they might even say, that was a really good sermon, but they won't even remember what, it's, what it was about uh, a week from then. And so um, the, the, the reason why churches have perpetuated this style of engaging people is that it's simply the way it's always been done as far as Mm -hmm. they can tell and sometimes they'll make a case that this is what jesus did but i i've done research into what jesus did to try to help people grow i i've gone through one of the gospels and simply 
uh, stopped every time Jesus was trying to help someone to grow. And then I asked myself, what was he doing? And then I put percentages next to the style that he used. And the style of speaking to people in a one-way communication methodology, he did that about 15% of the time. Wow. The most often way that he used to impact people's lives was through an experience. But we see these experiences and we don't attach meaning to them that he was trying to help them to grow. So, yes, he feeds them with loaves and fishes, but we just think of that as a miracle. Not that he was trying to teach them or to impact their lives and help them to grow. So, um, so the most common way he tried to help people to grow was by using the power of experiences. Yeah. And then the, the other means that he used, if you run down the list, are all relational, interactive ways. So there's debate, and then there's conversation. There's uh, um, Q&A. Um, all of these are relational means that he tried to help people to grow. But that 15% way uh, is, is about 99% of the way the church tries to communicate um, the gospel message. And it, it doesn't reflect the way Jesus operated. And, well, I have a couple of thoughts that come out of that. Um, just this last week, I think it was you know last Sunday, I took my daughters and some of their friends to a lake that they could walk around. And I ran around it and waited for them. And while I was waiting, I was... I was eavesdropping, okay, I'll admit it, um, at this at this couple that was uh, on a bench next to me. And the woman said, yeah, the sermon today, you know, was so informative and so inspiring. And the man asked her, well, well what was the sermon about? And she said, I don't remember. <laughs> so that it was, is such a perfect, it's a, such a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. We can have a good experience with a speaker, but then we don't know what it was about, and therefore there is no practical outcome from it. The practical outcome comes from being more deeply attached to Jesus. Then we get transformed. You know, I think that, you know, what makes it, it actually makes me think about the importance of the body. And um, I know that seems like a far rabbit trail, but when you do experience, you're drawing your body into the process and drawing, and by that, your your mind, your uh, your thoughts and your habits, whenever you start to apply and go through an experience, it draws the body into the process. Yeah, that is, that is so true. It, it, experiences are um, meant to involve you completely. So the, so the night that you dropped in to our group, we were uh, taking a deeper dive um, into the story of the naked garrison demoniac. Right. <laughs> I've been threatening our, our young adults <laughs> with going after this story for a long time, and it's been a running joke, but we actually did it this week. And um, as part of what we did, uh, I, I kind of framed the story as a story about fear. And um, mm -hmm. what the way I craft things is, is um, I, I do it so that the, the young people are the ones doing the discovering, and then I react to what their discoveries are. Yeah. And the, the weight of the discoveries on them. So uh, uh, one of the things we did along the way that you, you experienced yourself was I, I want to take them into an experience of what fear looks like. Well, that's dangerous, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But I had people think about what they were most scared about in their life right now. And then I asked them to type uh, a description of that fear into the chat bar on Zoom. Um, there's, a, there's a chat bar that you can uh, bring up when you're leading something. And I asked them to type it, but don't post it to the chat bar. Only they would still see it. 
And then I asked them to close their eyes again and ask them to think about what are you feeling right now, not knowing whether I'm about to ask you to post that or not. And then they got with another uh, – then I put them in a pair, each in pairs in breakout rooms to talk about the feelings that they had uh, that popped up in them while, while they were wondering what I was going to do. And then I had them delete whatever they had typed. So you experienced that too. That experience then takes you into the shoes of fear and gets you closer to what the people in that story were experiencing. Mm-hmm. Then you experience the story differently. Um, that's what unlocks great conversation. Right, because uh, you know you don't often think about fear in the in the story in this particular story of the demoniac, and you don't think about where fear is present because you haven't put yourself in the shoes of those who lost their livelihoods. Yeah, and in that story, as you know, the 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 pig herders watched their entire livelihood jump over a cliff into the sea. Right, and. And we don't really care about those people because the story is about Jesus. But Jesus cares about those people. He, he was there. He saw what happened, and they asked him to leave because of it. Mm-hmm. So he's very aware of the fear that, those, that he had just plunged those people into. So then it's important to understand, well, what does Jesus do to enter into fear? Uh, what is he doing here, and, and, how, and what is he doing in our own lives that feels a lot like that? Yeah. Well, your approach to ministry is pretty dynamic and uh, pretty interesting, and I think it's um, it's well needed in our time. And you've probably learned a lot about young adults in this process about you know what you know Generation Z, younger millennials, and there's so many misconceptions out there about that group of people. And I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit about what you've learned about young adults and what important things you think that people should know about this group, this cohort? Yeah, and it's a, it's a great question. Um, that, so I've been, uh, as I mentioned at, um, before, this is my third decade working with young adults, and um, they're, they're, uh, they're quite different than previous generations. They've been saddled with some, some assumptions that are, um, well, typical of the assumptions older generations always make with the younger generation. They're pretty typical of those. Um, but these, I, I think these uh, young people are uniquely situated to deal with the kind of um, present-day 9-11 or present-day Kennedy assassination that we are dealing with right now in this pandemic. So Gen Z teenagers uh, are entrepreneurial by nature. They insist on hands-on participation in their learning, and, and that's not just in the church. Um, that's everywhere. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to say something about that. I'll just back up in, in just a second and say something about that. But they also they, they want to be artists, meaning they want to be those that are creating um, their future and their reality rather than consuming it. Um, they, they are active participants in social activism. Uh, they don't like to be observers of it. They like to be involved. They're, we all know they're micro-interactors. They've been trained to quickly um, create and deliver their responses to things. Um, they, they'll pay attention to marketing if they are somehow included in it or help, even help produce it. 
and uh, overarching, they want authentic experiences, not scripted ones. So um, if we back up through that, that kind of cavalcade of description, that um, insisting on hands-on participation in whatever they're doing, uh, the, the uh, sobering truth, I think, right now for the church is that for young people today, in every environment of their life, they are invited to be participators, except for one area, and that's the church. Wow. When they go to church, they're expected to consume what someone else gives them. In fact, in youth ministry today, they have, uh, for a long time, they've adopted the same, uh, I will call, failed strategy of the one-way lecture that the large church has adopted for so long. What's happening right now is that because so many youth pastors, for instance, have to go on Zoom to try to stay engaged with their teenagers, they quickly started learning. I saw it everywhere, on Twitter, everywhere, all over social media. Oh, no, I'm going to have to figure out how to make this much more interactive because my normal way isn't working. And what I have told, I'm, I'm coaching youth pastors, many of them from all over the country through this time. What I tell them is, all you've discovered is what already existed. You just didn't know it. Now you're looking at a screen where they're checked out, but they're also checked out when they're face-to-face. You just can't see it as well. Yes, And absolutely. so your desire to create greater levels of interaction is, is a necessity. And what I tell youth leaders, if you don't shift, then um, this generation is going to continue to vote with their feet. In the last five years, 25% of teenagers who had been going to church are not. They are, they are saying, if you won't allow me to participate and help discover, then I'm going to go find someplace that will do that. Yeah. You know, the analogy, the, this is a really gross analogy, so be prepared. But it's, <laughs> it's like, I think you may have heard this before, where you are, the traditional model of church is basically you're, the leader is chewing the food for the congregants for them yes. to digest versus letting them chew on the own information, digest it on their own. Um, it's a pretty gross analogy, but it's apropos, I think, for you know it, this kind of interaction. It, it is, and if you think about who's doing the chewing in these environments as far as who's – if you if you take chewing a different way, who's doing the discovery? Mm-hmm. The only one who's really discovering something is the one who's speaking. Everyone else is are passively listening but if you involve everyone in the chewing when everyone's discovering then everyone gets to digest and you become one with your food that's how that works (laughs) so the point is is to get everyone involved in discovering so everyone um, merges with whatever it is they're discovering i a typical youth pastor uh problem is they don't know whether their 15 or 20 minute sermon quote unquote got in i never have that problem because I'm listening to what teenagers and young adults are, are – I'm listening to their discoveries and then interacting with them. So I know absolutely what is going in because they're the ones doing the discovery. And sometimes uh, leaders say, well, that's just giving away your, your expertise and insight to teenagers or young adults that don't know as much as you. And I say, well, it's not that my role isn't important. You saw, Haley, when you were in our group how actively I was involved in interacting with what they were saying and adding my own insights and my own spin to what they were saying while I was embracing 
the, the, the beauty and profoundness of what they were saying. Yeah. Um, by, by, by the way, I know you had to jump out a bit early of that, that time, but just so you know, at the end, the summation of the group about Jesus entering into fear was this profound statement, and the kids are the ones who said this. Uh, their summation was, Jesus doesn't always do what's easy. He only ever does what's good. Yeah. Well, when they said that, I just started to cry. That is a profound truth about Jesus that actually matters to our to us in our life right now. So, and I get to interact with that. Um, so my role is way more active than if I was just giving a sermon, and it's way more fun. It is fun, and it's also, you know, for people who haven't adopted this model, it might feel um, a bit... Uh, daunting because what you're doing in essence is you're giving away control and power. Um, you're giving away because whenever, you know, I know that as a speaker and a professor that when I have, when I have a lecture prepared, I feel in control. So, or when yes. I have a sermon prepared, when I've uh, preached before, I have, I have control over what's going to happen in this given time. But yep. the most productive, the most fun um, teaching that I have ever done are the interactive sessions. And going into those, you have very little control over what's going to happen. You've set it up the best that you can, but you don't really know where things are going to go because the power and the control is in the group, not with you. Yeah, and, and spoiler alert. Uh, it, it's it's too bad, but this is exactly where Jesus wants us. He wants us to be dependent. In fact, you, I, to me, I've I've only been writing about Jesus now for 20 years, and so I spend a lot of time with him. And <laughs> I could condense down his strategy, his mission, into what we just said to create situations and experiences where we become more dependent on him, because what he really his his end game is intimacy. That's all he wants in the end. He wants intimacy, and dependence delivers intimacy. So um, to lead this way means you must be dependent on the Spirit of Jesus. There's no two ways about it. And he loves that, and we grow to love it. Um, I could never go back to what I was doing before. Um, it just is so boring compared to, <laughs> compared to this. To doing something with Jesus, um, everything he does he wants to do in partnership, so he loves partnering in this way, but we have to give him space to do it. Right. So, you know, I have noticed that, you know, when I first started my work as the director of the Young Adult Initiative in which, at Denver Seminary, in which we bring together churches to help them uh, minister to young adults, you know, I heard the phrase that, um, that this young generation are the prophets that are going to challenge the church. And when I heard that, I thought, mm, I was pretty skeptical about it. I thought, yeah, I don't know about that. But as I've gone into this project, you know, over the years, I've become pretty convinced that this generation are the prophets that are going to challenge the church to change. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, I I totally agree, and but from maybe a different vantage point, the things that I uh, listed off that that characterize young adults and teenagers right now 
is that one that that thing? I'll just go back to it again. They're entrepreneurial, which means they like to create, um, and they're hands-on participators. So um, that is their prophetic gift. They're not operating prophetically like they. I have. I'm on a mission to you know get this message across. They're just wired this way. Yeah. And, and because they're wired this way, they're going to change the institutions that they're involved in by default. And I am thrilled about it. Um, on one hand, that means they're going to be destroying some of these existing institutions. But out of them, just like a forest fire running through the forest, new growth will happen, and it will look very different. And the difference will look a lot more like um, how Jesus engaged and transformed people, I believe, because that's how he engaged and transformed people. He did it through interaction and experience. Um, so if what replaces what we're doing now is much more uh, relational – and experiential, then we will be living um, in this footstream of Jesus much more than we are now, and I welcome that. Right. In my mind, that is the anchor of hope that pastors can hold on to right now while they are struggling to adapt. I mean, they were struggling before the pandemic, and now they're struggling even more as, you know, churches and nonprofit organizations are hit with, um, you know, crises after crises and, you know, perhaps looking at this younger generation and the way that we can reach them can help us transform and adapt to the new environment we find ourselves in. Absolutely. Well, Rick, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. And you're going to be joining us next week, too, to talk a little bit more about, you know, how you've been ministering during a pandemic. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. Be sure to tune in next week when Rick joins us again to share his experience ministering during a pandemic. Also, please reach out with your questions and comments to drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. Remember, stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.